Good evening, everyone. Hello. Or morning or afternoon, whatever. Whatever, whatever you're listening to this. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Hello. Hello. And welcome to episode four of Top Shelf. Yay. Episode four. As always, I am Lindsay and with me is Jeffrey. Hi, Jeffrey. Uh, hello. You hello. said my name, so I couldn't say my name. Yeah, well, I do what I want. I'm just going to sit over here and just I do acknowledge I things do you say. Okay. <laughs> hello and welcome to podcasting time. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little punchy. It's kind of late. A little punchy. Well, late for us because we're old. We are old. We also have long weeks of work in school. So yes. I apologize if we seem a little loopy. It's just because we're tired. It's fine. <laughs> Big so, old thing of Chinese on top of it. Anyways, yes. We are for this week's episode, or this 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 episode. This episode. Which one? Four, did, what did we watch? We are at episode ninety or movie number ninety-seven on the list. <laughs> Which is Blade Runner from 1982. If we were on episode 97, that means we only had three, three left to do. to do. You which... guys are not that lucky. <laughs> You're stuck with us. For we're like four years. We're like 125th <laughs> done with this list. Oh. More or less. Okay. Long ways to go. So Blade Runner. So Blade Runner. Yes. Um, I'm going to assume that a lot of people have seen this movie, so I'm just going to do a short synopsis of it yes. because it is, as we will find out, Readily available in many forms. Many forms all over. In fact, I do believe it was on streaming Netflix up until just recently, which leads me to believe that it will reappear once again, because as we all know, Netflix has a tendency to do that. Yes. Like a week later. So essentially, Blade Runner is a movie about a man named Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, who is a Blade Runner, who are essentially assassins who are in charge of executing, or as they put it, retiring replicants, which are, what we say, humanoid cyborgs, because they're not robots. They're not robots. Ridley Scott pointed out that they are not, not like... Oh yeah, Ridley Scott directed this movie. It's not like Bishop from the Alien franchise. It's, right. It's, it's not, they're not robots, but they're not human. They're, they're not just humans. very close to hip, human. Yes. So Harrison Ford... So Deckard is called in to track down and retire four replicants that have hijacked a ship and returned to Earth to find their maker because replicants have been outlawed and are now forced to live off planet. Yes. This is all laid out in the opening scroll of credits. Yeah, like the first like the, the 60 seconds prologue, of the movie. Essentially of the movie. Gives you the whole backstory. They could easily throw like a prequel mm-hmm. in this. I just do it all about that story if they really wanted to. Pretty much. So that's essentially what I'm going to do for plot because it's it's kind of you kind of just need to watch it. it it's good. It's I a, mean that we're jumping ahead. But, yes. But it's I mean it's it's one that I think it's hard to just to, to kind of sum up besides yeah. that which you just gave. It's a science fiction movie. You kind of just need to do a brief plot, because otherwise yeah. you get into the whole... There's way too much like, detail. everything and, about it. Then so. you're just describing the two-hour movie. And that's not what this <laughs> podcast is for. No, this, this podcast Ideally, is... you have watched the movie. Or if you and, haven't... And you're, or you're interested in watching the movie, and I don't want to spoil it for you, more mm-hmm. or less. In fact, none of my trivia is spoiler-related. Mostly because I was doing the research while watching the movie. Didn't want to spoil it for myself. We I once don't... again just watched the movie. Yes. And are now podcasting about it, which I think works best. It's, it's right nice and fresh in our brains yes. and we stay on topic a little better, I feel. Yes, because it's not like, well, I think that happened in the film, mm-hmm. didn't it? And then, you know, we're just trying to go off of our minds. Minds. I sang that yes. line. I'm 
Yes. So yes, it is fresh in our heads. And so what do you got for just tr- as a, no, we're gonna we're gonna do the quick rundown of our talking points. So I yep. did the plot. Yep. I'm actually gonna hand it over to you. Okay. For the brief awards and technology, because we don't actually have a lot. I don't think for yes. this one. Which is kind of sad, because I was really expecting. And I know I mentioned that in the last episode. I kind of expected this one. I'm thinking like, oh, it's it's a sci-fi movie. It's Blade Runner. There's gonna be a ton of like technology and stuff like that. Not so much. I sat down. And I looked at it. And it's really not for. And a, I actually. I I mean, I don't have a whole lot for trivia. I have so. It's, it, they're long trivia pieces, just not a lot. I'm actually going to um, move cultural impact to around after awards and technology and then between okay. trivia. And then I'll move into trivia. Then we'll do where it is on the list and our personal thoughts about it and our conclusion. Okay. So I'm going to hand it off to you for okay. your awards and technology segment. Okay, excellent. Sir. Welcome to the awards section. I have my own intro. I do not have my own intro. I'm just going to say welcome to the award section da, twice. Da, 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 da. Superman. <laughs> sorry. I don't even... I, that was, punchy. That sorry. Was continue. Sad. <laughs> sorry. Continue. So the movie Blade Runner uh, actually has about 20 major award nominations, which is more than Yankee Doodle Dandy did last week. Uh, two of which of uh, those award nominations were Academy Awards that it was nominated for. It did not win any uh, Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, which was the set direction and then the best effects or visual effects and by watching this movie you can see why it was nominated for both of those because frankly the special effects in the movie are they are it's very well done considering this movie is 30 years old or over 30 years old 31 31 it's actually quite amazing how well it it holds up uh, not saying that there isn't some kind of bad and cheesy stuff, but but uh, that's the reason why it was. And there was another eight of the awards that it was nominated for were BAFTA Awards, which it actually won Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, and Best Production Design. Uh, it was actually a, a kind of an interesting little piece of trivia. The film was actually nominated twice for the same award ten years apart. Interesting. In 1983, uh, it was nominated for Best Film. Uh, for, it was nominated for a, a, a best film in the uh, Fantas Porto. I apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly. It okay. is a it is uh, the Fantas Porto, or as is usually referred to as the Fantas, is this Portugal based uh, award ceremony uh, okay. that focuses primarily on sci fi, horror, and uh, uh, fantasy films. Interesting. And that's its whole thing. And it, it, it is a decently I bet you wide. Guillermo del Toro does well at that. He uh, probably does. <laughs> I awards. bet you he wins a lot of awards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> since, yeah. Since every one of his film is pretty much all three of those genres combined. Yes. Uh, or easily at least one of them. But uh, it was nominated in 1983 for Best Film. I broke my own rule. And then, yes, you did. Sorry. And then, <laughs> and then in 93, it was nominated for Best Film, but it was nominated for the Director's Cut in 93, which will. You're going to talk about that a little bit, do you? Will you? I thought you were going to take over. Oh, I can talk about that if you want. You seem to know more about it than I do. When we get to the trivia, I'll I'll, I'll talk about about those, the different cuts. So it was nominated. So it was kind of the only film that I thought that was kind of cool that it was actually nominated twice, 10 years apart for the same Same award. award. Um, And then in 93, it was entered into the National Film Registry. So again, like the past couple of films, I'm pretty sure that was all the films so far have been in the film registry, haven't they? I know Toy Story and Nanky Doodle Dandy. I don't think Ben Hur was. Was Ben Hur not? I don't think so. I couldn't remember if it was or not. So, it. Uh, but uh, Blade Runner was entered in 1993, exact same year as uh, I think that was Nanky Doodle Dandy was the same year, um, in the National Film Registry. So as before, as I've said before, it means that we will always have Blade Runner forever and ever. It will always be restored and cleaned and perfected and fun stuff. Which like that. version? Yeah, that's the thing. See, that's the. <laughs> 
Okay, let's. Yes, Should I want to address that now. Okay, we're gonna we keep talking about. We're gonna let's address, address this that now. now. Blade Runner came out in 1982. However, there is actually seven different versions. That's right, of count Blade them. Runner. Seven. Seven different seven. versions. There is <laughs> seven. Um, there is uh, the original work print. So, like, a really rough version of the film that, that kind of got leaked just for, like, testing-wise. There is the uh, the uh, San Diego pre-release like pre -release preview cut of the film. That's so only like the been... the Comic-Con version? Basically, like, a Comic-Con version of, of Blade Runner. We said San Runner. Diego, so I thought Comic-Con. It, it works, because it was released for one showing only, and it's okay. only been viewed that one time. Fair enough. There is the U-ass. The U-ass. U-ass. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome to the U.S. Ooh. portion of the show. There was the U.S. Uh, <laughs> theatrical version. There was the international theatrical version. There was the uh, director's cut. And there was also the final cut that came out in 2007. And I'm I'm missing one. There's missing there's one. a there's a seventh cut of the film that was released uh, was released of it. And all these versions are actually I think it was like a like a home video version of it. Um, Oh man, I am spacing on what that other version was. Hold on, one Hold second, on. one second. We're fixing it. Um, Just getting it. It was also the uh, oh 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 duh the U.S. broadcasted version. So it was the version that they aired on television. The Ooh. all the all seven versions differ only in uh, maybe like three or four minutes between each one of them. So. Like, the U.S. theatrical cut was 116 minutes. The international was 117. Basically, all these versions were different. And not, I'm not saying hugely different, but were, were different cuts of the film. So there was different scenes that appeared in the, this version, then this one, and then there was alternate dialogue, and there's alternate takes, and then obviously the broadcast version wasn't as violent, but it was trying to be more... had more exposition in it because some people can take this film as being kind of confusing and there's a lot of open endings to it like there's not a lot of exactly in your face storytelling yeah so. that's yeah yeah and and how this this also there is there's multiple versions and right now on blu-ray you can get i you can get the box set that is the original theatrical cut the version we watched was the u.s slash international theatrical cut of the film which is primarily the one that most people are going to see and probably what you will find if you look online or on Netflix or you or whatever. But they're also on Blu-ray is available is the director's cut from 92 and then the final cut from 2007. And the final cut is, which kind of coming back into technology, so hello, welcome to the subtly placed technology section. Uh, the final <laughs> cut, <laughs> I like to just slide that in there. The 2007 mm. that needed like an R&B hit. Um, the no, we do not do sound effects. We don't do, do, no sound effects? No. Darn, it would have been such a great point for yeah, it. Yeah, well, get over uh, it. <laughs> and I'm already over it. Um, <laughs> that's all I am not. I really want that. Anyways, the 2007 version of the film, the, the final cut, it was actually, he pulled a, he kind of pulled, and I hate saying this, he kind of pulled a George Lucas. Um, it was the first time that Ridley Scott, the director, had the ability to go back and have complete control over his edit of the film because there are definitely some points in this movie I could see as being like studio notes to be like, hey, you need to do this with the movie because we don't want it to be like this and change it. But in 2007, he did his final cut. He actually went back over it and made at least over 30 different tweaks and adjustments to the movie, including like tweaking the special effects and changing. And I mean, I'm not saying like whole new scenes, but like 
re-editing it, taking certain things out, making some of the lip syncing better because there's a lot. There is of, one specific scene. Yes, a lot of overdubbing, a Not lot of good. overdubbing, and uh, so it's and just kind of general fixing of a lot of the special effect shots, matte paintings, cleaning up like some errors when they were filming it and stuff. So I actually thought that was cool because he did it in a way where he's not trying to be like, hey, look, but new new special effect shot. He was doing it so that way the movie looked the way he, he originally didn't add wanted things it. in that weren't there, George Lucas. He didn't add just a random job while falling off of a giant uh, ship. Yeah, giant, I was just watching creature. A New Hope the other night. So, but uh, so that was kind of that's one of the main things. So so there's kind of a quick rundown. You can get you can get three of the seven versions if you if you so need to or wish to. And I'm very curious, as I said, to see the final cut. I'd like to see some of the shots that he tweaked. But uh, besides that, the uh, primarily the movie, a lot of the special effects in the film were all models. Uh, a lot of shots, a lot of special effects were done in camera, meaning instead of them filming just this spaceship on the blue screen and just this building in front of a blue screen, because yes, kids, this is prior to CGI uh, being used whatsoever for movies like this. Everything was Sometimes done in models. Sometimes I forget that CGI exists and still think everything is blue and green screen. It would be. I... I, I I can. It's I'm it's dumb. possible. It's fine. No, it's not. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stupid. That's Forget stupid. it. I quit. I quit. Um, that's a great way. Right, four episodes <laughs> into this, let's quit. quit. Yes. No. <laughs> Hello, welcome Where to. Where have you even gotten a good fellas yet? <laughs> welcome to AFI Top 100 with Jeff. <laughs> Lindsay bailed eight episodes ago. <laughs> I've been just busting these things out one after Welcome another. Welcome to hour seven of AFI's Top 100. I want to go to bed. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what movie I'm on. So, but, but a lot of things were done in camera, meaning they actually put all the models in a set together. They put a, they they threw in a motion control camera, which is a camera that was hooked up to a cam, uh, computer and would do the exact same move over and over and over again. So that way they could do the shot with all the models and the cityscape, and then they could do it with the like spaceship in front of a blue screen and do some very very uh, minor work. Okay. And it was all just so okay. that way the movie could the best special effects were better. Gotcha. So, and actually, uh, yeah, that was kind of it for my technology section because like i said for a movie that was so heavily like sci-fi and techno that is not a word you know what you can say big words i wish to say big words as well that's not a word though at least the big words i use are weird words we did not specify if the words were supposed to be real or not <laughs> anyway okay that's the new rule word. apparently apparently all the yes. big words need to be real yeah all right well moving on from the technological stickling we're gonna section so we're gonna put back cultural, to Lindsay. we're gonna put cultural impact in here now even though normally i do it after plot cultural I feel, impact i feel that it's better here okay <laughs> need like so intros. <laughs> this movie was initially not very successful with north american audiences but it became very popular internationally and is now considered to be a cult film cult films are generally films that for those of you who don't know movies that have a really strong fan base but it's more of an underground fan base as opposed to a mainstreamed fan base mm -hmm. like Rocky Horror Picture Show is a cult film um Scott Pilgrim versus the World is a cult film I'm blanking on some Boondock Saints is Boondock kind of a Saints. cult film essentially that's that sort of movie a movie that more or less completely and utterly just tanked at the box office, office but has like a huge following in culture outside of even like video and DVD release, yeah. like it 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 doesn't get discovered until way after the fact. That sort of sort of thing. Um, 
The film's dark style and futuristic designs have served as a benchmark, and its influence can be seen in many subsequent science fiction films, anime, video games, and television programs. That's and a true. good example of this is Ronald D. Moore and David Icke, the producers of the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica, which I finally refer to as B-Star G, have both cited Blade Runner as one of the major influences for the show. Fun fact, Edward James Olmos, who is on Battlestar Galactica, is in this movie. Oh, He's only in the movie for like five minutes, but what, he's in the movie. Who did he play? He's the guy with the eye. He's the eye scientist. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, I thought I was going to be in it way more. For the fact that he's like top, like he's in a the, top billing spot. It's very the, strange. The cliche Korean guy that's in like yeah. every movie ever. Ever James almost? I don't think he's Korean. No, I don't he's know. He's not. I, Blade Runner continues to reflect modern trends and concerns and an increasing number consider it to be one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. It was voted the best science fiction film ever, made in a poll of 60 eminent world scientists, which was conducted in 2004. Blade Runner is also cited as an important influence to both the style and story of Ghost in the Shell oh, yeah. film series. I can see that. Which itself has been highly influential in the what is known as the future noir genre. Mm-hmm. Um, as Jeff said, it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry in 93. It is frequently used in university courses as well. In 2007, it was named the second most visually influential film of all time by the Visual Effects Society. Again, going back to the fact that the special effects and the visual effects mm-hmm. in it were done so well. Blade Runner is one of the most musically sampled films of the 20th century. And fun fact... The gentleman who scored this film, who was like a pioneer of electronic music, did this, another movie, and won an Academy Award for The Chariots of Fire, which is the dun 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 Yeah, that's Blades of or Blades of Glory. Blades of Glory. Chariots of Fire. Wow, different movies. Wow, those are different movies. Chariots of Runners. Anyway, the gentleman who I think is Venagilis, something along those lines. Foreign name. It's something, yeah, I'm blanking, blanking, blanking. You know, I was already apparently racist, so you might as well just be racist right along with me. Blanking, blanking, I can't think of, it starts with a V. V. It's like Van Angelis, something like that. It's a single word. Single, single name. Um, Anyway, he cannot read music, like can't read a single note of music. So you're telling me all. a movie composer cannot read music? And he's won, like, Academy Awards. Which just goes to show you. Vangelis. I had one extra syllable. Vangelis. Vangelis. I had one extra syllable. I was close. Just goes to show you, kids, you don't need to know what you're doing in order to you become famous for it. You don't need to be a music major for ten years to get <clears throat> an Academy Award. Anyway. Um, <laughs> was that, was that Blade Runner has influenced in venture games such as Rise of the Dragon... Snatcher, Beneath a Steel Sky, Flashback, The Quest for Identity, Bubblegum Crisis and its original anime films, the role-playing game Shadowrun, the first-person shooter Perfect Dark, and the Syndicate series of video and the Syndicate series of video games. Only have heard of Perfect Dark. Me too. <laughs> the film is also cited as a major influence on Warren Spector, designer of the computer game Deus Ex, which displays evidence of the film's influence in both its visual rendering and plot. The look of the film, darkness, neon lights, and opacity of vision. Shush. It's easier to render than complicated backdrops, making it a popular choice for game designers. <laughs> What? How do you say that word? It's opacity. Opacity. You said it right. I Did just I? I love the extensive pause. Okay, there's oh, 
capacity. <laughs> well, words like I always say indicative wrong. I always say indicative, indicative. instead of indicative. There's words like that that I trip over. Well, it's not like you said it as a pocketive. No, <laughs> or but a pocketee. I, was, I was trying to think of maybe what if it was something different, like a small little bird, the apocatee. <laughs> It's a rare endangered Ooh, species. We need to not do these these this late. No, no, I mean, no. my iPad has already gone to sleep. Like it, the little moon is out <laughs> on my iPad. It's night night time. No, no. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. What's sad is we started relatively early, yeah. but we chit-chatted too much we, while we, we were talked. eating dinner. It was We bad. talked too much and we should just we should Ugh. just forego dinner on these nights and okay. start with the movie. <laughs> Or watch the movie at a separate time. So basically. we're going to move into trivia proper now at trivia this time. Proper. I love how this episode is like 20 minutes long already. We are. And we we are. Talk, I feel like we've talked about nothing. I mean, we have. We but have. We are basically the Seinfeld of podcasts. Pretty much. <laughs> we are episodes about nothing. Uh, I hope no one starts <laughs> in on this episode before listening to the other ones. So if you anyway. made it this far in this episode and it's your first listening, please go back. Back to Toy Story. The Toy Story episode one is 99. good. Toy Story one's good. Okay, trivia Movie proper. Movie 99. Trivia proper. Now I'm doing it. Yeah, now you are doing it. <laughs> now we're on trivia. A pocket eye. The film is loosely based <laughs> on Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was published, I believe, in the 60s. 1962, yes. I want to say. And, and Philip, I don't, you don't mention, do you mention anything else by him? A little bit, but if you oh. want to... I was just going to say, Philip K. Dick, um, people might know more movies that have been based upon his works, like Minority Report and Total Recall and uh, Paycheck with Ben Affleck. Um, They're all Philip K. Dick stories, which when you... Not to be confused with Isaac Asimov. No. Who did... iRobot. iRobot. And uh, Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial Man and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was my little. That was my trivia. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the film is is based on Dude Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. However, the title comes from a book by Alan Alan Nuorse is how I'm gonna say it. It's N O U R S E, called The Blade Runner. William S. Burroughs, who is famous from the Beat Movement, uh, wrote a screenplay based on the book and a novella entitled Blade Runner: A Movie. Ridley Scott bought the rights to the title, but not the screenplay or the book. The Burroughs composition defines a Blade Runner as a person who sells illegal surgical instruments. Which makes way more sense than what happens in this movie. Yeah. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. Yeah, that actually, that that name makes more sense. Like, yeah. how the hell's... It's a good point, actually. Blade Runner does not make sense. <laughs> um, Philip K. Dick only saw the opening 20 minutes of the footage because he died... Before it was released. Um, Not too long before it was released. He died in March of 1982. He was extremely impressed with the film and has been quoted by Paul Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N, as saying, it was my own interior world. They caught it perfectly. However, neither Ridley Scott nor screenwriter David Webb actually read the book. (laughs) Apparently, yeah. That's the problem with Hollywood, it I is. feel like, sometimes. It is. Because it's like, you know what? That's why people can't get mad at Peter Jackson, because Peter Jackson has read the books. At least he knows the he stories he that knows. he's making the movies about. Whereas other people are just like, meh, we don't need to read that. So, um... <laughs> it's based on a book, forget that. There have been there were several titles considered for the film, including Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Simply Android, um, Mech- Mechanismo... Dangerous Days, and finally Blade Runner. 
However, after the film changed its name from Dangerous Days to Blade Runner, Ridley Scott decided he didn't like the new name and tried to call the film Gotham City. <laughs> but Bob Kane wouldn't sell the rights to the name, so it went back to being called Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. See? Bob Kane created Batman. Just AKA so you know. Gotham City. <laughs> AKA Gotham City. Anything... I- Batman related is his. You know, that's a good point. Blade Runner is a terrible name for this film. That makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't no make sense. any sense. Apparently, production on this movie was like grueling. Apparently, mm. I have a trivia fact about it, but apparently Harrison Ford like would not talk about this movie for like ever. Huh. Apparently, the exasperated crews often referred to the film as Blood Runner. <laughs> so, you know, that title. Apparently, <laughs> I, I, I found some trivia about it, but it's kind of like petty stuff that I'm sure everyone's gotten over at this point. But stuff like Ridley Scott did not get along with the crew. Like, he's very, at this point, I don't know if he still is. He might still be very cold and difficult to work with, apparently. I mean, he may have warmed up by now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been 30-some years, but yeah. I think, say, I think this is pretty... I, it's not. I want to say it's. I mean, it's pretty early in his career. I mean, I'm pretty sure Alien. Alien was what made him him. Yeah. So this is only a few years later. The ending title sequence in the theatrical cut of the film, which mm-hmm. is the one we were we watched, mm-hmm. contains unused footage from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. These shots were extra shots of the main title sequence, although none of the shots contain the road that was seen in The Shining. Which would have identified it as the as the open. The but Shining. you can tell if you've seen The Shining, you're yeah. like, oh. This looks familiar. That's why. We should just edit together the end of Blade Runner right into The Shining. Yes. <laughs> Make it this weird. Apparently, the opening movie. shot of this film, which is Los Angeles in 2019. 2019 yep. Oddly enough, it's like six years from now. Yeah. Um, is known as the Hades landscape, apparently. Um, it was filmed using forced perspective. Ah. The miniature itself was only 13 feet deep and 18 feet wide. And there were almost seven miles of fiber optics, fiber optics, sorry, I can talk, and over 2,000 lights needed to illuminate it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Blade Runner is one of the first major films to be reissued years later in a director's edition, Mm -hmm. in which the director was allowed to restore edited footage or otherwise make changes more closely reflecting his original vision, which today, such later revisions of a film is commonplace. Yeah. I mean, how many versions of movies are the unrated director's yeah. cut, the director's cut, the unseen in theaters cut, the, yeah, like everything, so that, especially so this was, comedies. This was one of the first ones yeah. that were, that was like that. Yep. That's actually kind of cool. It's kind of cool that a movie, a single movie can have a couple different things that it's known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Outside of the iScientist lab, who's Edward James Olmos, mm-hmm. who, I'm sorry, everybody, I call him Edward James Olmost. All the time, because it's hard for me to say almost, because it's spelled like O-L-M-O. So it's almost? Almost. Almost? Yeah. No, there's no T in it. Almost? Yeah. Almost. 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 Yeah. So I call him almost. Almost. Yeah. Thank Um, you. (laughs) On the left-hand side of the door in some graffiti in uh, Japanese, it says Japanese slash Chinese characters. It reads, Chinese good, Americans bad. (laughs) So as I had mentioned, the filming of this movie was not exactly smooth. So conflicts on the set arose almost immediately upon commencement of the filming, which you know is just a bad, bad sign. The movie started off. The first bad. scene to be shot were those which take place in um, Eldon Tyrell's 
office. Tyrell is the one who essentially created the replicants. Mm -hmm. However, after two weeks of shooting, Ridley Scott decided that he didn't like the lighting for the scenes and ordered everything to be reshot from scratch. (laughs) Everything. After two weeks. This not only put the film two weeks behind schedule, only two weeks into the shoot, but also created a major conflict between Ridley Scott and the camera crew. I wonder why. I mean, uh, yes, okay. Okay, I suppose that if the director's like, okay, remember everything we shot? Yeah, we're doing it all over again. But why would that be... Why is that such a big deal? Mm. I mean, don't movies do... Movies do reshoots all the time nowadays. Like, that's more commonplace for... I mean, I suppose at the end of production, maybe back in the 80s, they just didn't plan for reshoots at that time. I don't know. That's it's goofy. possible. Goofy people from the 80s. You silly, silly folk. Um, in the scene where Harrison Ford finds a synthetic snake scale. Yes. Which, if you haven't seen the movie, is going to make no sense. Just a fun little fact. The snake scale seen under the electron microscope is actually a marijuana bud. <laughs> I laughed. I thought it was funny. That's awesome. Um, let's I see. Did not know that. Oh, I forgot to mention something in the, because uh, it, it's trivia slash cultural impact. There is apparently some mythology, uh, folklore, built mm-hmm. up around this film known as the Blade Runner Curse. Have you ever heard of the Blade Runner Curse? No. Okay. Part of the poltergeist This curse. is the belief that the film was a curse to the companies whose logos were displayed prominently as product placement. And they, oh. give, and they give the reasons why. While they were market leaders at the time, many of them experienced disastrous setbacks over the next decade and hardly exist anymore. For example, RCA, which at one time was the leading consumer electronics and communications conglomerate, was bought out by one-time parent GE in 1985 and dismantled. So RCA <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. Atari which dominated the home video game market when the film came out, never recovered from the next year's downturn in the industry, and by the 1990s had ceased to exist as anything more than a brand. The Atari of today is an entirely different firm using the former company's name, which just filed for bankruptcy. Yep. So there it goes. It keeps going. Awesome. Cuisinart simply went ba- similarly went bankrupt in 1989, <laughs> though it now lives on under new ownership. The Bell System monopoly was broken up that same year, and all the resulting regional Bell operating companies have since changed their names and merged back with back with each other and other companies to form the new AT&T. Okay. Pan Am suffered a terrorist bombing and destruction of the Pan Am Flight 103 and went bankrupt in 1991 after suffering mounting losses for a decade. And the Coca-Cola Company, although still tremendously popular, suffered losses during its failed introduction of new Coke in 1985. The only thing, the only one they did not mention was the was TDK, because in the end sequence there, TDK yeah. is advertised in the background. But I know, I know, I know, I know TDK is still around. Yeah. But... Well, obviously, been no movie lately. Yeah, I know. The audience is now deaf. <laughs> That's THX. I know. I know. <laughs> it's funny to me. <laughs> no, it's still funny. Okay. Like I said, Harrison Ford has apparently refused to talk about the film for many years, but did contribute to the 2007 DVD documentary Dangerous Days Making Blade Runner, claiming he has since reconciled with Ridley Scott and made his peace with the film. In fact, Ford says the thing he remembers most is not the grueling shoot or the arguments with his director, but being forced to record the voiceover which executive producers Jerry... Perneccio and Bud Yorkin insisted be in the film, which actually was not in the version we watched. No, I don't even know what are these, which were these. Ford doesn't about. actually mention any names, but in discussing the voiceover, which was used in the theatrical cut, which is not the version we watched. No, we watched the international. Says that he says it was written by clowns. <laughs> in actual fact, Daryl 
I can't pronounce these last names. Some guy was initially hired to write it, but his version was tossed out. Then Roland Kibbe was hired, and his version was the one that was used. According to David Peoples and Hampton Francher, who had become close friends, when they first saw the film, they each thought the other had written it, and despite the fact that they both hated it, they told one another that they loved it for in fear of insulting each other's feelings. Oh, the 80s. The 80s. I still... I, I, I really want to see the... Uh... I would like to know what this dialogue is, this yeah. narration. Unless it's... Well, it's not going to be the opening credits. I want to know what dialogue they're talking about. I don't about. know. We'll have to, someone have search to, it out and let us know. I will have please to find this. Yes, let us know, please. Um, Daryl Hannah is in this film in the, with a, as a character name, named Pris. P-R-I-S. Uh, um, after her character first meets Sebastian, played by William Sanderson, who, if anyone listening watches True Blood, is... Uh, is it the sheriff? The sheriff. Sheriff Bud Dearborn in the True Blood series on HBO. She runs away from him, skids into his car, and smashes the window with her elbow. This was a genuine mistake by Daryl Hannah, which was caused by her slipping on the wet ground. <laughs> the, el- the glass was not breakaway glass. It was real glass, and she chipped her elbow in eight places. Ouch. Yeah. So that's that why sucks. she did Splash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kept calling her Splash during the whole movie. Splash, for those who don't know, is a Tom Hanks Ron Howard film made in the 80s. Also, where he finds it. Harrison Ford cites Blade Runner as one of the most frustrating films he's ever made, which is saying something because he made all three Star Wars movies. Yes. Partly because the shoot was so grueling and the changes in post-production that were meant to help the film's chances at the box office didn't help. He also made Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty frustrating to me, We too. saw that in theaters. <laughs> that movie is fantastic in the worst oh. way possible. Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt your trivia. It's just... um, Harrison Ford became a spokesman man for Japanese electronics throughout the 1980s following his role in this film. Did Interestingly not know that one. <laughs> and my favorite piece of trivia fact, the outtake link between the movie and The Shinings was not the only element that connected the two movies. Actor Joe Turkle, who played Dr. Eldon Tyrell, also played Lloyd, the bartender who serves Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Oh. Maybe that's why I know him. However, besides the outtake and and Turkle, that is the those are the only two links okay. between the two films. But I thought it was interesting that he's he's Lloyd. I did not. I I I think I, The Shining's on the list, so I'm really excited about it. I knew I knew he looked familiar, but I could not figure out for the life of me why he looked familiar. The Shining has to be on this list. If it's not on the list, I mean that's it that's, is. It has to be. I think it's pretty high up in the list. That's actually. a fairly uh, popular, popular film, so it's got to be on the list there somewhere. So one thing I do want to I do want to bring up real quick. We're trying to stay spoiler free for the most part for a lot of these films. If you if for a fact you haven't seen any of these movies, but I do want to bring up the fact that the movie is very well known for being kind of is ambiguous the right word kind of like open oh this is Susie let's use the word open ended ambiguous works is ambiguous right? ambiguous works. Um, where you don't the ending of it is a little kind of it's well the ending of the theatrical cut is the happy ending as a lot of people call it where things work out let's just say that I won't say what but it's it's it almost feels extremely tacked on where the, the footage from The Shining The Shining is not on the AFI Top 100 nope Sad days. We might have to do a bonus episode. Um, yes, let's make more episodes. Yeah. Um, but no, the the ending is kind of kind of this goofy, happy ending, and it's 
I don't know. I I would re- I want to really see the final cut or the director's cut just to see the ending that does not include the shining footage. Frankly, that's all I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to say. So, but uh, I suppose we probably should talk a little bit about like our the ranking and again our kind of final thoughts about the movie. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? No, you can go first. Okay. I talked a lot. So you, you did talk a first. lot. So final thoughts when it comes to this film. We'll just go with that. Then we'll do our ranking. Okay. Um, first off, there's there's two things. Two things I like to bring up. Number one. The uh, the the lighted pole umbrellas are probably the coolest freaking thing in the world, and I cannot believe these things do not actually exist. I mean, they, they, they do, do exist. You can get them on Think Geek. You can get them on Think Geek, but I am surprised that 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 was not something that hasn't been actually like refined and used in the real world. Because when you think about it, if it's raining out, it's probably a little dark. So to have a lit umbrella in your hands would be kind of nice to like lighten up things now i understand why because i'm sure there's probably something you know to do with electricity and power in rain something to do with like electrocution okay i see why we haven't invented these things but and frankly they're pretty damn cool i mean obviously think geek has perfected it to the point where they can get by without killing people so hey if you want to see these polls or you wish to purchase one visit thinkgeek.com for more information sounded like a commercial anyways thought number two there's a scene in this movie that I will call the enhanced photo scene. Yes. Jeff um, got real, real <laughs> butthurt about this. Um, I will post the clip on the oh, on the Ghost Tab page because I, I know so it's already out there. We can listen to you get about it. Um, it, is, it is one of those scenes that um, everybody has seen that moment usually in cop dramas and crime dramas and TV shows where they're like, enhance, enhance. And the fo- they keep like enlarging the tiniest portion of the photograph and blow it up for detail. And there's no way in hell that would be possible. There's a scene that's like four minutes, five minutes long of Harrison Ford enhancing this photograph that that he it does had. go on forever. It goes on, and he zooms in on the most absolutely minuscule, 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 ridiculously tiny portion of the photograph, and enhances it perfectly clear. <laughs> it just keeps going, and when you think he's finally spotted something it zooms in more and then it zooms in more and it's like yep. okay it's so over the top it took me out of the movie for that couple of minutes but you know it's it was true. funny it was still good so your thoughts on the movie um i liked it it did not capture my imagination as much as i would have hoped mm-hmm. had you seen you, i had never, never seen, seen it no um we will find that i have not seen a lot of the movies on this list which is kind of the main reason i wanted to do this podcast mm-hmm. so i have a reason to sit and watch all of them without feeling sloth like <laughs> um especially because we're doing it every two weeks I, I have seen it, as I've said before, I have seen bits and pieces of this movie. I've actually, the last time I watched it, I saw the opening 20 minutes, and then I proceeded to fast forward to the next hour and 35 minutes, and then watched the final five. Like, that's pretty much how I did the movie, and I never had interest in seeing it, and I know how big of an important film this is. Well, and that's what I find most odd for me, is that as big of a film movie person as I am... I don't like nothing is familiar to me from this movie. Yeah. And besides the light up umbrellas. And that's just because I shop on things. <laughs> but you and s- I always thought they were I've never like looked at it, looked at it. I always just thought they were lightsabers with umbrellas on with the umbrellas top on them. Because I never re- looked into it. But and when you when you when you watch this movie, you can see how other movies were obviously referencing it. Mm-hmm. 
Because it definitely is. That whole, like, dark, dirty, futuristic oh, yeah. world oh, is yeah. totally from this. This movie perfected that. And so many other movies now, wherever it's, whenever it's the future, the future is always dark and grim and and, and dirty and and generally rainy. <laughs> that tends to be the, uh, the the main key is that it's always raining. Because I don't think there was a moment in this movie whenever they cut to outside that it wasn't pouring down rain. So pretty much Los Angeles in six years, you're just going to be a giant watery hole. Right. So, but anyways, besides that. I mean, I liked it. I would like to watch it again, maybe where I don't have to be paying diligent attention mm-hmm. and taking so many notes and trying to do a lot of things at once, just like sit and enjoy it, enjoy it. But like I said, I want to see it. I want to see it. But um, I liked it. I want to see the, the final cut version. I want so to see So far, the only movie effects. on this list that I have not liked is Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. We're doing good so far. That's yeah. that's 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 what three for four, yeah. <laughs> three or four. I do think it's it's at an appropriate place on the list. Yes, I'm glad it's on the list. I'm glad it's on the list too. The fact that it's included on the list, I think, is a big deal. But I think but there's a lot more movies that are coming up yeah, that deserve that to be above higher, the film. Yeah. Because again, it didn't really, it didn't invent new technology. It wasn't mm-hmm. an incredibly original story. I mean, it, it it was, but I mean, it was based upon a book. Kind of. Right. You know, so like it, it wasn't anything that was totally holy cow, this has never been done. Like Star Wars, where it was kind of like it reinvented a yeah. like a genre. This was this this opened up new ideas for future stuff, but I, I don't see it as being something that's that's definitely all brand new and needs to be higher on a list just because because. Right. <laughs> basically. <laughs> So, so definitely 90, what, 98, 97? 97. 97, perfect spot for Blade Runner, in my opinion, and uh, sounds like in your opinion as well. So, and that's all I have for this movie. Me too. Anything else for you? No, that's about all I got. Awesome. Our next movie is going to be Do the Right Thing from 1989, directed and written and directed by Spike Lee. Ooh, a Spike so, Lee joint. It's going to be interesting because I have never seen this movie. I have never seen it. And, and... it is a drama. And yeah, Who's so anybody, we'll anybody cool? Um, I don't want to say no. I just, I don't know. Anybody. I just, I don't know any of these people. Yeah, well, Spike oh. Lee's in it. Oh, John Totoro's in it. Okay, yeah. at least I know one guy in it so far. I mean, it's probably one of those things where I'll, we'll recognize people. Yeah. So I guess then for those of you at home who are following along and we got to uh, listen to our review of it in a couple of weeks, expect to uh, see us talking about Do the Right Thing at number 96. Yeah. We're trucking Ooh, Samuel along. Samuel Jackson's in it. Oh, then it's going to be good. I mean. It'll be good. Martin <laughs> Lawrence is in it. Oh, yeah. See? Oh, she starts. Frank Vincent is in it. She starts scrolling through the list of people and we're going to recognize people. Yeah. Okay. So this might actually not be that bad a movie. Not, well, it's not going to be a bad movie. No, it's I just, know. it's going to be outside our realm of experience. Yeah, because I've never seen this movie. And it's got a Criterion collection. Oh, version, so, so it's, it's got to be good. Got to be good. Chasing Amy is one of those. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Amy's great. Before we start rambling. Yes, as we haven't at, at this point, obviously. <laughs> for Top Shelf, I'm Lindsay. I'm Jeff. And it's all up here, hill from here, folks. If I can ever get that line out right. <laughs> One of these days. One of these days. It is all uphill from this movie onward. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> shut it down. Just shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut now. it down. Shut it down. For more information about this and other programming, visit our official website at www.ghostat.net.